At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable. With stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft. Made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50 plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Today, I'm so happy to have Alyssa Blask Campbell on the show. Today, Alyssa is going to talk with us about the importance of emotional intelligence and how we can support our kids in developing this very important attribute. Alyssa is the founder and CEO of Seed and Sew, an organization committed to giving parents, teachers, and caregivers the tools to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Seed and Sew offers a -a one-of-a-kind certification program for child care centers and home-based providers through the schools excelling in emotional development, Seed Certification. An emotional development expert with a master's degree in early education, Alyssa co-created the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method, which is unique in how it equips adults to be mindful of their own emotional intelligence so they can show up for the kids in their lives in a productive way. As an early childhood educator and parent, Seed and Sew provides the tools that Alyssa needed but never had, an in-person and online community where parents and educators can find the support they need to do the work for themselves and with tiny humans. I am All so right. excited to have you on the show, Alyssa, to, um, to learn about emotional intelligence. So thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Erin. I'm jazzed to get to hang out. Awesome. So let's start with the basics. And I'd love to hear what um, your take is on emotional intelligence. What is emotional intelligence? Yeah, so we look at emotional intelligence as four things, self-awareness, self-regulation, social awareness, and empathy. And so often folks come to us for three of those. They want self-regulation, they want empathy, and they want social awareness. They want kids who can regulate those feelings and respond with intention and connect with others in an empathetic manner, put themselves in somebody else's shoes and read the room, understand that the way that we show up in 
a restaurant is going to be different than the way that we show up at home is going to be different than the way that you show up at your grandparents and have that social awareness component. So the kicker with it all though, is that it starts with self-awareness that we can't regulate what we're not aware of. If you're not aware of what you're feeling in your body or where you're feeling it, you can't regulate and respond with intention. We can't show up with self-control, which is often what we're asking kids to do is to have control over their actions, over their behaviors and how they communicate. And it's a really hard skill to develop. It comes first with that self-awareness component and then self-regulation and then self-control. Um, but yeah, it's those four, self-awareness, self-reg, empathy, and social awareness. Very nice. Um and it's interesting because, you know, to me, self-awareness is really something we build throughout our lifetime. You know, that we just, it's, we continue to go deeper into who I am. Why am I feeling this? Where is this coming from? What are my triggers? And so this is yeah. a lifetime process. So we're really just in the beginning stages of helping our kids connect with that and even beginning to understand what that is. Totally. And I think we don't give them enough credit for how much they can do early on. It, you're right. It's ongoing. We think of it as maintenance. It's an ongoing practice. It's ongoing maintenance. We're going to have new experiences. Just the other day, we were walking into a restaurant and my 14-month-old reached out and touched a light that was on the wall and got a burn on his finger that like turned into a blister. And It has been a topic of conversation in an ongoing fashion where he'll point to a light and he'll point to his finger and he'll say, ow, and we have gone over it and we'll debrief, but this is now an experience that he has had that he will continue to bring up in different spaces. And so when we're looking at self-awareness, as you go through life, you're going to have new experiences that are a part of you, that live as a part of you, and that service in other ways, that show up in other moments where maybe it won't be that same restaurant, or it might not be him touching a light, but maybe the next time we say, oh, that's hot, when we're talking about something else, maybe he thinks back to that moment. Maybe he connects to that part of himself, and that's all a part of self-awareness. You're absolutely right. It's an ongoing practice, but it starts now. It starts in infancy. It's wherever you are with your kids at whatever age they are, it starts now. Um, they're never too young to start to build this. Very nice. Yeah. And I love how you say that they're so capable, like they're capable of so much more than we know. And I actually just talked about that in my most recent episode that I released this week about how with the tools, absolutely, you know, how, and I use the term self-awareness, how self-aware and how mature and, um, kids can really be when they're given the right tools. It's really quite incredible. So, um, let's, so let's talk about, um, why is emotional intelligence important? What does this, yeah. why is this important to us? Not just kids, but adults too. <laughs> I think it's the cornerstone for moving throughout the world. So when we have tools for self-awareness and self-regulation, then we can access things like self-control, which means rather than our thoughts subconsciously driving our patterns and our habits and our actions, we can build awareness of them. We can regulate our nervous system and we get to choose. I think, I feel like it gives us the freedom to choose our actions, to choose our behaviors and to choose how we want to move through the world, what kind of life we want to live, how we want our day to day to be experienced. So many of us are living from our subconscious, from habits, from patterns. You know, you drive to work in the morning and you don't remember how you got there. It's just happened from our subconscious patterns or 
when I go to make coffee in the morning, I'm not like, okay, I have to take the cup out of this cabinet and then grab my milk. It just happens from a subconscious pattern. And so many of us were, were moving through the day from a place of the subconscious. And then we find ourselves in reactive states. We find ourselves losing our cool or feeling overwhelmed by things without the tools to regulate and choose how we're going to experience the world. And for me, emotional intelligence gives us those tools. And we see, you know, when you take a good hard look around at the adults around you and you notice the folks who have those tools to recognize what they're experiencing in their body and be able to calm their nervous system and respond with intention rather than snapping at you or saying something rude in response because they're triggered by something or feeling overwhelmed and getting really big and taking over the energy or dominating or having power over. Those are all examples of folks who aren't moving through the world from an emotionally intelligent place. It's not an emotionally intelligent reaction. And we know what that feels like, both to be on the receiving end and to be in that space where you're moving through the world like that. I see so much freedom in emotional intelligence with us being able to move through from a rested place, from a recharged place, from an intentional place and being able to live a life that really feels good. I love that. Um, that there's a lot of freedom in that. And, uh, I haven't heard anyone say that before. And I think that is a really nice why to why this is so important because, um, you know, so many struggles, I think so many of us have in life are rooted in the fact of not having enough emotional intelligence, not being um, self-aware enough and being, um, connected enough to, what's going on inside. And you're right. When we, once we're able to do that, there is so much freedom in that and being able to make choices because then with our choices, we then have, we have power over the outcomes. So once we realize I have a power over my choice, which gives me power over my outcome, like that just gives us a lot of freedom and where we're going to go in our life, how we're going to show up. So I love that. Um, I read and took a class from Franklin Covey. I'm assuming you've probably done some of the work where he talks about that, um, that response time and putting a gap. And that's really what you're talking about here is like being able to put a gap. So when we're really reactionary, there's no gap between the time that we feel something and the time we react to it. And that self-awareness gives us the space in between. And that's something we can help our kids work on creating that space and what a gift that is to them. Totally. And to us, like, you know, when I first went back to work after having my little guy and, you know, times where he would be like crying at drop-off for childcare and I would walk away and then I would be living with this guilt for a little while around like, oh, if I just stayed, it wouldn't have to be hard for him and wrestling with my decision to be a working parent and all that. And started to notice after about a week, oh, these are my thoughts. Like that's what's happening inside my head. And these are the stories I'm telling myself about this. And then this is what's happening inside my body. And subsequently, this is what the next hour or sometimes hours or rest of the day is looking like for me. And is that what I want? Are those the stories that I believe about myself as a working parent? And ultimately was like, oh, I've been living as like 
a victim to these thoughts as a, they are driving the bus right now. And it's my job to build awareness of those patterns. I think so often when we're in them, it just, it's our reality, right? Like it feels like this just is what it is. Um, I was chatting with somebody the other day who has been living with a lot of anxiety. And at this point she was like, I don't know what it would even look like, like where to start. Like, what does it look like to not live with anxiety? And um, it, I think that that's true for so many of us that it can feel like this just is who I am, or this is a part of being me or being alive or my lifestyle. And so often we end up then in these habits and patterns that uh, really start with us building awareness so that we have those tools to regulate and that it doesn't have to be that we aren't just this way necessarily. Very nice. Yeah. Learning to take control of those thoughts, recognizing them. And then so we can then make changes in them is is really a, a huge gift, but yeah, a lot of us do live in those patterns and we, not just the patterns of what we do, but our patterns of thought. And so learning to, to stop those and break those and, and then you know, doing this for our kids is amazing. Um, giving them an amazing gift so that they don't have to struggle and grapple with this, hopefully to the level that a lot of, um, of us adults these days are doing. When we get back after the break, Alyssa and I are going to dive into tips for getting started in supporting our kids' emotional intelligence. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, By Heart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Our blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum, along with broken down, partially hydrolyzed proteins. By Heart is an easy to digest formula. In addition to its patented protein blend, our formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey to casein ratio, like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. By Heart is the only US-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Now that we're back, we're going to get into the importance of developing emotional intelligence early on and some tips for getting started. You had mentioned that the first five years are really important years for this. So um, let's get into what we can do in those first five years and what is so um, important about these first five years. Totally. So when we're looking at the first five years, we're looking at 90% of a child's brain development. If you think about even just like 
how different a child is in their skill set is and how they move through the world from two months old to a year later at 14 months old, it's vastly different, right? Like they are learning and growing and their brain is learning so much. It's learning these habits and these patterns and building these pathways for how to understand the world and what to do when you feel upset, what to do when you feel scared, what does scared feel like? Um, what does it feel like in my body to feel sad? And then what should I expect? Like how, what can I do with that? We're building all these habits and these patterns and we can either do so intentionally or they'll build on their own. Um, regardless, they will build. And this is why when we're looking at things like the first three years, we have programs like early intervention or if we're seeing any challenges in pathways for kids that we can get in there and do some work and support them so that we can build pathways that are gonna serve and support them down the road and to be successful in navigating the world. And the same thing when we're looking at emotional intelligence, that these first five years are so crucial. It doesn't mean that you can't go back and make changes. We have neuroplasticity, that's great. And it's harder to change a habit than it is to lay a foundation for one. So, you know, even for ourselves as adults, right? When you're like, okay, I am whether it's like, I'm going to pull my phone out of my bedroom. I'm going to stop using it less, et cetera. Can you imagine if it just was like never a thing? We never had phones. I mean, it was, you can imagine because we grew up this way, right? Like I didn't have a phone in my bedroom. We did just fine without it. It was a habit. And then once they started to get introduced and then they were pulled into, now it's a habit that's so hard to break for so many of us. And looking at this for kids that when they feel sad, or they feel frustrated, we can support them with what that feels like in their body. I start with this outside of the moment. So we'll do it in play, or I'll do it through when we're reading books. When we read, we started at six months old, um, we have emotion flashcards, and I just had them present in the space. And when we would be reading like Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, and J and K are about to cry, I'll pull the sad card. And I would say, oh, sounds like they're feeling sad. If I was there, I'd love to give them a snuggle and let them know it's okay to feel sad. And then I keep reading the book and that's it for that moment. And then we're building on this. I did it for about three months and around nine months, I started to pull the cards into the moment when my husband would leave for work and my nine month old would point to the door and go, (laughs) that's like, yeah, daddy went to work. I feel sad to say goodbye. I would grab the sad card and say, it makes sense to feel sad pause, like letting them know it's okay to feel that. I understand what you're feeling and it makes sense to feel it is the first thing I want kids to know. So often we rush to stop. Mm-hmm. We, and we're designed to do this, we'll right? Like it. when they, yeah, we want to fix it. it. We don't want them to feel bad. So we're trying to do everything we can to make it better as quickly as we can when what they really need is to, to be able to feel it and to understand it, to understand where it comes from. Um, so that they can learn how to fix it themselves as they get older. Exactly. Well, that's what we need. So many of us as adults didn't grow up with this. And so what happens for you when you feel sad? What happens for you when you feel scared? What happens for you when you feel frustrated? And what would it look like to start to build these tools and for yourself to say, yeah, it makes sense for me to feel sad about this. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to make it go away. I don't have to do list my way out of it. I don't, I can just feel sad for a minute. 
I can just be in that and know that I'm still loved. I'm still worthy. I'm not failing for feeling this. I'm allowed to feel this starting with ourselves there. We cannot teach this to the kids if we're not starting with ourselves. Can't teach what we're not practicing. Um, they are going to um, repeat what we model versus repeat what we say. And so really starting with ourselves, we have two courses that we sell as a bundle. One is about how to do this work as a parent and the other one's about how to do this work with kids. And we bundle them together for that reason that we want to support folks with what it looks like. I know I didn't grow up in a household where these tools were given. And so much of this has been me building it alongside building it with kids. And it can be messy and raw and vulnerable and uncomfortable. And in order to allow a child to feel a hard feeling, to truly let it exist and hold space for it, we have to be comfortable with doing that. Um, and that's going to start with ourselves. Uh, but sorry, your question was, why are the first five years so important? And that's that's like okay. This is, great. this is all great stuff. No, this is all great stuff. So I'm really enjoying it. Okay, great. Um, yeah, it's it's so crucial in the building of, of habits and patterns. In fact, I had a parent reach out the other day who has two kids, one's four and the other one is like 18 months. And the 18 month old is starting to copy some of the things a four-year-old is doing when they're having a hard feeling and they're not behaviors or reactions to emotions that the family wants to see copied. Right. And so they're like, what do we do? How do we help this 18 month old? I was like, actually, I want to start with that four-year-old. I want to go in and support that four-year-old so that what's being modeled for the 18 month old is different mm -hmm. so that what they see right from the jump is what does it look like to feel this feeling? And we can talk about like, oh, when I feel frustrated, I feel it in my chest and my hands get really tight. And I like to go like this. Oh, and like really giving them those tools to identify. We talk to kids about things like butterflies in my stomach or what it feels like to be cold or hungry or tired. What we're doing there is connecting internal feelings to words. It's your interceptive sensory system that we're identifying there. And I want to help them do this with emotions across the board. What does it feel like when you're embarrassed? What does it feel like when you're sad, when you're disappointed, when you're nervous? What does that feel like in your body? Here's how it shows up in mine. And here are things that you can do when that comes up to help your body feel safe, to help your body feel calm. And then we can talk about problem solving or conflict resolution or moving on. But we're focused first and foremost on what does it feel like to experience this? And then how do you support your body when you're ready? It doesn't mean that the emotion goes away. Maybe we help our body feel safe. And once the dust settles, you're still feeling embarrassed or you're still feeling sad or you're still feeling disappointed. The feeling might not go away and that's okay. What we want kids to be able to develop are the tools for regulating that nervous system building awareness of when it starts to fire cortisol or adrenaline, um, that's pumping through your veins and help them notice those patterns and then be able to calm so that they can do things like use their words, communicate with us, and that we can help them in problem solving and conflict resolution strategies. Very nice. So um, if you have a couple of tips for um, parents, for, so for, let's talk about the adults first, talk about parents, a couple of tips for adults, because you're right. We didn't grow up with this. I did not grow up with this in my house. My emotions were not allowed. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had to, you know, I, I really, um, I was 
not allowed to have any emotions or feelings. I had to just pretty much ignore them or stifle them or, you know, deal with them on my own in a different way. And, um, and I was not allowed to get upset or, or, you know, other people's emotions were far more important than mine. So, um, so let's talk about just some steps parents can do to start to do the work. Yeah. So we start outside of the moment, um, as adults and this could look like reflective practice. It could look like journaling. It could look like taking, we, we aim for five to 10 minutes a day where, um, in our reparenting course, we have like prompts that you can go through, but really looking at like, what's coming up for me. What are the behaviors from my kid that I'm noticing are really triggering lately? And then being able to get curious with yourself. Hmm, what is it about that behavior that I'm afraid of? When my child is throwing right now, my one-year-old will stare me in the face and drop his food on the floor. And he has the tools to say, I'm all done. And instead just stares me in the face and drops his food on the floor. And it fills me with rage. And as he like stares me in the face and as I got curious about this, realized like, oh yeah, if I would have done that in my household, it was labeled as disrespectful. I would have been removed from the dinner table and that that's it. Like you're all done eating. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to address any of the underlying things. You're just done. Um, everything was swept under the rug and just like, there was a boundary there in my house. I actually would have gotten hit. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There you go. And it was, it came back to respect, right. That like in my household, it was, that was the word that was thrown around that like, it's not respectful to throw food on the ground. And what they meant was obedient. And, um, So for me, just like unpacking that and getting to know that part of me that is so deeply rooted in trying to show up as a respectful human out of safety, right? That like my emotional and physical safety was built around trying to show up as a respectful human so that I would be loved, so that I would be cared for by these humans, my attachment figures, my parents, and recognizing that that makes sense for me to feel triggered in the moment when my child's doing this thing. Um, And then when we're like carving out that five to 10 minutes to get curious with that part of ourselves, we create this space where we can separate from that part of us, you know, and we can see it not as who we are and we can recognize like, all right, and my child's in a different household and they're growing up with a different response. And I am going to get curious about what's going on, what they're really looking for when they're doing this. Um, and, but really just like giving ourselves that opportunity to separate. And then in the moment when we've practiced this outside of the moment, it becomes easier. Then I know when it happens and I feel that rush of cortisol, I feel my chest get tight. I feel my shoulders go up to my ears. I feel that rage. I'm now have like a little note inside a little seed planted, if you will, of like, Oh, there's a part of me that feels triggered by this. It's that respect part that's coming up right now. When we practice it outside of the moment, it's easier to identify in the moment, which then gives me in the moment, the space, the the ability to find that space between reaction and response, um, that self-awareness to self-regulation, to self-control, or then I can say, oh, I feel this bubbling up and I'm going to calm my nervous system. For me, it's taking deep breaths or squeezing my fists or just noticing what's happening in my body. 
my chest is, uh, my heart's racing, my shoulders are up to my ears, my chest feels tight, my hands are tight. Really, as I start to notice, then I can let go of all those. I'm going to unclench my fist. I'm going to drop my shoulders down. I'm going to slow down my breath. I'm going to come back to this moment and then I can respond with intention. Then I can access self-control, but it's, it's a, it's a little three-part piece here. Yeah. And then that's a, you know, a much better place to teach from and guide Mm -hmm. from than, you know, than from the emotion that reaction emotion that we get from it. Totally. Yeah. Then we're just repeating behaviors. Maybe it's a pendulum swing that we do, but, um, we're still repeating behaviors from our childhood We're reacting from that subconscious. Yeah. Very nice. And then how about a few tips for, um, working with our kids to help them, start to increase that self-awareness, teach them. I mean, you've already given some great ones just talking about the book and stuff, but um, like in the moment, let's say for a parent who's dealing with a, a big feeling, they get themselves calmed down and they have a child who's you know doing something they don't really like their behavior. Um, what tips, what's a couple things to get them started? Totally. So we separate it between the nervous system and emotional regulation. We call it sensory regulation and emotional regulation. We're starting first with sensory regulation, which means we're helping them calm their nervous system so that they can regain access to their whole brain. They aren't choosing their actions in the moment. If they're dysregulated, it's happening like to them almost. Like they are not saying, I want to hit my sister. It's just coming out of them in the same way that we don't say, I want to yell at my child. It just comes out of us sometimes. And um so when we go in with that at the cornerstone that yeah because they, you know and just yeah. just decided to make this yeah. point is that you know so early on the the logical brain is not you know it's that's one of the last things to come on board and so they have so much of the limbic brain that it just it just happens and so here they are just reacting um and then that logical brain comes in later over the you know over time but it isn't even fully developed until 25 which i think shocks a lot of people that, you know, that we're really not a a full, fully developed human until around 25. So that's a lot of years. And, and we can access self-control well before then we have to have these foundations for it. And, um, they right now in the moment, yeah, they're reacting. They don't have the awareness component. No one has taught them what's happening in their body and taught them how to tune into, Hey, Oh, I felt this happen. And it starts by us acknowledging. So we had, when we were doing our research of the SEP method, uh, so I co-created the collaborative emotion processing method with a colleague research across the U S we have a book coming out on it. And it, when we were doing the research, we had this four-year-old who was hitting a lot and just would get into a reactive state and kind of lived in a reactive state. So for him, we were starting with self-awareness. So I would say to him as something would happen and I could see like he was starting to build, I would acknowledge like, Oh, your shoulders are up to your ears and your fists are so tight and your voice is getting so loud. Gosh, you sound frustrated. And like really joined him in that and help him start to notice these things that were happening in his body. We did this for about three months of just building that awareness. And then he started to say, my shoulders are up to my ears and my fists are so tight and my voice is so loud and I'm so frustrated. He could access that after about three months of us doing that every single day with him, acknowledging what we were seeing in his body. And in those three months, we didn't see a huge decrease in the hitting. And we knew that it wasn't going to happen until he was able to notice what was happening in his body first. So we started there and then we moved into 
man, you are frustrated. How can I help your body feel calm so we can solve this together? And with him, movement was really helpful. So we would do 10 big jumps together, or we would play a game where we would like, all right, I wonder how many frog jumps it'll take us to get from here to that door and back. I think it'll take us 18. What do you think? And he would come up with a number and we'd say, go. And we're jumping, we're coming back, we're moving that cortisol, that cortisol or adrenaline in his body. And then once he was in a regulated state, then we could move on to, all right, you were feeling frustrated. That makes total sense. You were working so hard to get that zipper to work on your jacket and you've been practicing and practicing and it's still not working. That is so frustrating. It's hard to learn a new skill. Would you like me to start it? And then you can zip. Now we're going into problem solving or conflict res, et cetera. And kids are awesome at problem solving when they're in a regulated state. They don't need a whole lot of us other than scaffolding and um, being there to guide them gently here and there. But um, sometimes even just to parrot back what they said. But really what we're focused on in that moment is that self-awareness, helping them notice what's happening in their body and then be able to uh, cope, be able to move that adrenaline, that cortisol to regain access to their whole brain, to their prefrontal cortex so that we can do the next steps here. Very nice. Um, and I get, a, you know, a lot of questions from parents about this, you know, a lot of hitting and reactionary behavior in these really early years, two, three, sometimes, you know, four for some kids really struggle with it. Um, can you speak to just quickly, like some milestones that are very well within the abilities of younger people with their social and emotional awareness? Yes. Like so, with, you yeah. know, with us giving them these tools. Totally. So we look to like mini stones to milestones, right? So when I am looking first, I'm going to look in infancy as they go through infancy and just notice, like, are they taking in things around them? When a baby cries or somebody else has a hard emotion, are they looking and like tuning into that? Are they noticing those things first? Um, and then I bring it back to them like, oh, you heard that baby crying. I wonder if they're feeling sad. And so then I'm going to start to build emotional vocabulary. It's like reading to an infant. I don't expect them to read back to me tomorrow. I don't expect the infant to tomorrow say sad. It's not going to happen for a while, but we're going to lay that foundation. We're going to build an emotional library. So then we will get to a point and we use visual aids for this. I use emotion cards um, so that for instance, my childhood, I was saying we started at six months with the cards and then at nine months, he, we would bring them into the moment. Then about 10, 11 months, he would grab it himself. He would grab the card that, um, he, and sometimes he would grab like the happy card when he was feeling frustrated. It wasn't always the right card, but he was like, I know I'm having a feeling right now. Um, and then it, that fine tuned and by about 12 ish months, he would grab more consistently, like the card that was associated with this feeling at that moment. Um, and so he could start to communicate even before he had, the words for it before he has the verbal language, he could let us know I'm having a hard feeling. Um, and then as we were moving into like throughout that nine to 12 month range, we were still talking about like what he could do. Like, Oh, when you're feeling frustrated, you could squeeze your fist or you could stomp your feet. And most of the time we won't see them start to bring those things into the moment. If you're doing this consistently until about 15 to 18 months, usually by 18 months, if we've been practicing this consistently, we'll see those things start to come into play. And it doesn't mean all the time. None of us will use them all the time, <laughs> but this is what we're capable of when we're laying these foundations young. And then moving into like 
Two, it, you, you develop a whole new skill set with the social play and engagement with folks around you and language development that comes. And we'll see often in those instances is where we'll see an uptick in things like hitting with kicking with biting because they're trying to navigate new feelings and new circumstances. And what does it look like when we are playing together and I had a plan for this toy and that person just took it and walked away from me? Because up until that point, we're usually navigating parallel play because they're playing next to each other, but not really with each other. Right. Um, and so as we're moving into like two, three, four, and we're seeing more of that social play, we'll see often those behaviors will rise, even if you've been laying these foundations, because it's new things for them to understand. And as we can navigate them with that with them, again, mostly outside of the moment, then we can start to bring those tools into the moment and helping them build awareness of this new feeling that's coming up for them in the moment and what to do with that one. And what does it feel like in your body and how do you help your body feel calm so that you can move through these steps and recognizing that it is, we say a marathon, not a sprint. So um, we are going to, I would say our goal is that by like five, by the time a kid's going to kindergarten, they could have a pretty robust toolbox if we've been laying this throughout early childhood, that they can walk into kindergarten with a toolbox for what am I feeling? How do I call my body? And how do I seek the supports and help that I need around me um, to then- And how do I engage in cooperative play and how do I problem solve when we're in disagreement? Yeah. And that's all. We have five phases of emotion processing. Those things you listed are phase five that we can't do those if we don't have these other foundations. In fact, we have a free guide for those five. It's um, emotioncoachingguide.com. If people are interested and it has like concrete uh, examples in there, of what this looks like in practice. Uh, but yeah, that's phase five. And we often, we want kids to have that, right? We mm -hmm. want them to have empathy and social awareness and engage in problem solving and conflict res and social play can't do that without these foundational tools. Right. Right. Yeah. Very nice. Well, thank you. Um, this has been really great information. So can you, so besides, um, what was the website you just listed? Emotionalintelligence.com? Emotioncoachingguide.com. Uh, Emotioncoachingguide.com. So outside of that, besides that, where else can people find you if they want to learn more? Totally. So we have a pretty active Instagram over at seed.and.so, S-E-W, and then seedandso.org is like the mothership, the hub. Um, we have a professional development program. We work a lot with teachers in early childhood, and then we have programs and courses for parents and caregivers as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This was really great information. Um, that I just think it's so helpful for parents because I know just, you know, a lot of the stuff we talked about, I've seen parents get frustrated and, and struggle because they want, you know, to fix emotions. They want to see improvement really quickly. Um, and this is, like you said, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And we're really just looking for improvement over time and, you know, to keep doing the work, but knowing you know, having some of these tools to do that in a way that is going to move their children forward is going to be extremely helpful. So, and we're raising an amazing generation of kids coming up here who are, you know, so intelligent. They're coming in with um, just so much, um, just, I see a lot of um, strong-willed kids who kind of know what they want and who they want to be in the world, but helping guide them so that they have the tools to become that is, um, is going to yeah. be able to help them get there. So it's amazing, amazing work. Totally. Thanks so much for having me. And I hope that everyone tuning in today also just gives themselves grace and knows that like you're not failing if your kid's feeling. The goal is that they are feeling. 
we do want them to feel in so many ways for us growing up, we weren't allowed to feel. And now it can feel really uncomfortable when our kids are having a hard feeling and just starting there and recognizing that. And there's, I've never left a day. I have a master's in this. I've worked in it for a long time. I've researched it and I've never left a day where I've been a perfect parent or a perfect teacher and it's not the goal. So give yourself grace. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Erin. If you have questions or comments, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.